Welcome to the Fabulous 413. I'm Khalees Smith. And I'm Monty Belmonte. Later this hour, we'll be celebrating our new neighbors with Immigrant Voices, a production by the Center for New Americans happening at the Shea in Turner's Falls this Sunday. We'll talk with the Center's director, Lori Millman, and Ronaldo Losident, a newly arrived Haitian student who's coming to the studio with his guitar. And Deerfield's own award-winning, nationally acclaimed author and illustrator of Sibley Gui- Sibley's Guide to Birds and what it's like to be a bird, David Sibley will be at Treehouse Brewing next week as a benefit for Deerfield's Tilton Library. He'll answer our and your bird-related queries, so email us at thefab413 at nepm.org or text 1-800-639-9120 if you've got a bird question. But first... One of the reasons we decided to call the show The Fabulous 413 as opposed to something like The Valley was because we wanted to make sure everybody felt included. And nobody feels less included as being called The Valley than people in the hill towns. And <laughs> joining us from... You're not the Berkshires. You're, you're not, not the, the Valley. Ber- <laughs> you're the hill town. And you're not accessible by the highways. <laughs> <laughs> joining us from the Hilltown CDC and the Hilltown Mobile Market is our special guest on our local hero spotlight today. Hunt Chase and Phil Corman from CISA, who are the local hero folks. Hunt, tell us about the Hilltown CDC. This is not the Center for Disease Control, as most people know at this point. It is the Community Development Corporation. Yeah, it's been uh, working in the Hilltown since the 80s. Uh, We deal with trying to improve the quality of life for a lot of rural residents. We have subsidized senior apartments, transportation networks. We do a housing rehab program. We also step in with the arts and culture, and we recently got uh, the town of Cummington, a cultural designation, which is pretty cool, the first rural one in the state. In addition to that, we do some food access stuff, and the Keep Farming and the Hilltowns initiative started, I want to say, like 2016 or so. Mm. And uh, out of that came the mobile market, which is why I'm here today. And that's been trying to connect local farmers to their community members. We're now entering the fifth year, which is pretty exciting. That answers my next question, because I was about to say, was the Hilltown market something that came out of COVID, or was it something that preempted COVID? And it preempted it, which is even more cool. Yeah, yeah. We actually got together with a whole group of farmers. Farmers and uh, talked about how to reach their community better. And then we started up the Hilltown Food Policy Council to try to get the consumer perspective on the best way to serve the community. Out of that became the mobile market. Uh, our first year, I think we had like 35 members and two stops. As of last year, we had 18 different locations we were distributing to, and we had uh, basically a 470-person customer base. (laughs) That's huge, and that's a big growth in a short amount of time. Mm -hmm. Phil, you were kind of intimating that necessity is the mother of invention, and there are other CDCs, community development corporations, that focus on things like transportation or other issues, but that the Hilltown CDC has its own unique bent towards how it serves its community. Yeah, I think CDCs are such important parts of our community fabric. And, you know, we have the Franklin CDC doing amazing work in the Food Processing Center. That's where, like, the real pickles of the world have grown out of. And they have the commercial kitchen there that has been an incubator for businesses, a lot of which have to do with food. (laughs) And Valley CDC does amazing work around housing and a lot of small business technical assistance. A lot of the CDCs do all of them. But I think the challenge maybe in the hill towns are that we have farmers doing great farming, but how do we get the food to people who have less resources and don't have transportation? And maybe you could describe what a mobile market is, so we're not assuming all our listeners know that. Yeah. The first couple of years of the mobile market, we were predicting what people wanted, and we would aggregate produce from five different farms, bring it to these different locations, and it would be similar to a traditional 
farmer's market. You pop in, you see all the produce on a table, you pick what you want out of it. You go home feeling happy and excited. Once we hit above about 100 people serving that way, it got impossible to predict what people actually wanted. Mm. (laughs) Um, So we had a lot of folks waiting in lines and not necessarily getting the right cluster of tomatoes or something that they wanted. So we had to be a little more creative, right? But uh, the mentality or the idea of it is still the same. Like we're trying to get food to people that need it, uh, trying to keep Hilltown dollars in the Hilltowns. And we're trying to really like create a stronger sense of community between the producers and their neighbors. So we do a lot of features with the local farms we work with. We try to encourage folks to go to their farm stands and buy stuff directly from the farmer. You know, this is a totally transparent operation. So even as we've transitioned, you know, it's a non-competitive market, right? So we're working with like Berkshire Grown and Berkshire Bounty to help them develop their mobile market scene out there. We've also been working with the Amherst mobile market people to try to grow their program because, I mean, there's people out there that need the food. We live in these fertile valleys. We have this beautiful soil, you know, and there's a lot of people that take great pride in just like eating with the seasons and eating locally. And we just want to make sure that farmers aren't having to drive an hour to go to a, participate in a farmer's market and sell to people that they don't know. Because transportation is a huge issue. And that while all of this stuff is happening in the Hilltowns, it can be hard for some Hilltown residents to get to the stuff, even though that it's happening in the Hilltowns. So the Hilltown mobile market comes to them. We're speaking to Hunt Chase from the Hilltown mobile market and the Hilltown CDC. What are some of the farms in the Hilltowns that are part of this market? Oh, wow. Okay. We have... Close to 20, if not over 20. You don't have to mention them all, but it's fun to name check at least a few Let me see if I can name them all. That would be really exciting. So we have uh, Cream of the Crop, Intervale, Mayvale, Paws and Pivot, Foxtrot, Heart Farm, Good Bunch, Fern Hill Farm. Then we're coming back up. Then let's see. Then we're going to have Sawyer Farm, Four Corners, Kinney Brook, Cure for Boredom, Stone Bridge, Berniche. Clark Brothers Orchard. Um, oh, we're working with Reed Poultry this year. There are chicken producers, which is pretty great. Uh, Everyday Farm, Sage Farm. Oh, man, I'm drawing a blank now that it's You're up to close. 17 by yeah. my count, though. <laughs> right off the top of your head, no notes. So, <laughs> Well, yeah, I know. I feel bad for the ones I'm leaving out. Well, that, like, they'll be in touch with yeah, you. Yeah. I'm sure they'll let me know. I'm sure they'll let me know. Yeah. But that's impressive. And it just kind of goes to show you. Like, I could watch your brain like going around the hill towns to try to... like. Try I know. I was replicating my pickup route. Yeah, it's like a memory <laughs> palace. So you go around and you pick up from the farms and then go to people's houses or like, like specific neighborhoods? Yeah, last year we went around and we picked up at all these different farms and then we were renting space at the back of the Chesterfield General Store and we were packing all our orders. So Wednesday was like a nightmare of a day. We're <laughs> unloading, picking everything up, unloading, packing like 115 orders, loading the truck back up, bringing them to Sawyer Farm that was letting us use their walk-in cooler last year. Mm. This year, though, we, uh, we've rented the Sawyer Farm store. So we're now a year-round operation, mm-hmm. like a walk-in grocery store. So That's- now as orders come in, we're packing them individually versus having to do like 100 in a day at that point. It's a little more casual. But then also, in addition to that, we have a free fridge out on the patio that's open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Be cool if you're going there because people do live in the house, so no, like, 3 a.m. stops to get your, your stuff. But, um, you know, we're, we're loading that up with this rotation, constantly rotating uh, local produce. Sometimes there's dairy in there. We just gave away, I think, like 30 dozen eggs, you know, and all this other stuff. So it's like as farms reach out with their abundance, we're buying it. 
putting some in the store and selling it, and but putting most of it back into like the free fridge for people just to pop by and use it. It's pretty exciting. We've been open for I think five weeks now, mm-hmm. <laughs> and we've already given away about three thousand dollars worth of food. That's the free amazing. Fridge, That's which fantastic. Is great. That is Hunt Chase from the Hilltown Mobile Market and the Hilltown CDC, and Phil Corman from CISA, the local hero folks. For farmers markets, usually to make it, and and if they are committed to reaching everybody in the community, regardless of income and access, uh, they usually do need you know middle class and people with more discretionary income to kind of carry part of the day. And now we were lucky enough to have food stamps or SNAP and the Healthy Incentive Program. For like the Sawyer store or other food delivery models, are you delivering to folks who pay straight up? Definitely. I I can't emphasize that enough. This this market is for everyone. We don't want there to be an economic barrier for people, but if you have the means, by all all means, come in, you know, shop. (laughs) If you're feeling generous, donate because we just run that money right back into like the golden ticket program, which we do too. We're giving individuals that self-identify as food insecure. We don't ask for anything further than, hey, I need this. We're giving them $150 each to use at the store. Um, as of this morning, it's 85 golden tickets we've given away, wow. which is pretty In phenomenal. just this five weeks or in the history? Just of... in this five yeah, weeks. Yeah. yeah. Like So we've already more than doubled what we gave away for free food last year during our 18-week season, and we're only five weeks into <laughs> mm. it. It's kind of sad that it's showing <laughs> what's happening in the world and the economies, but uh, I'm happy that we're able to help people out through the grant sources that we also have that help sustain this program. And you think um, you'll be able to keep up with that demand, even if it continues to increase? I, that I am unsure of. Yeah. I, ho- I hope so. I, I, I lose sleep thinking about it, you right. know, but because there is such a huge demand and it really stinks to have people like call in or email and you're like, I'm sorry, you're on a waiting list. We're right. out of funds. But the issue with grants is if the funds exist and you can get them, then you can do it. But you're trying to predict a year in advance of what you're actually going to be doing. And when we first wrote this grant that we're using from MDAR, the Local Food Purchase Assistance Grant, it was written a year ago when we were still just an 18-week program, right? So even though we have $40,000 worth of food to give away in two years, that was based upon the idea of us just being an 18-week-a-year program. Mm -hmm. So now that we're year-round, we're moving through it a lot faster, which is to be expected, but, you know, it definitely leads to those sleepless nights when you wonder what you're going to do when funds run out or if there's like a transition in political power and those grants no longer exist. It's really, it's a systematic problem, but we're just putting Band-Aids on it. Right. It's all important work that we're doing, but at the same time, it's not changing like at the core what's happening here, right? We feel good about the food we're giving away. There's still more need than what we have funds for. And, you know, we're still out there writing grants, hunting it down, trying to increase this because even with all the food we're giving away, farmers are still being paid their fair share on it. You've expanded from five farms to like 20 farms. Is there just like word of mouth amongst farmers about what you're doing? Or do people approach you? Or do you find out about new farms and just see if they want to be a part of this community development? Honestly, all of the above. Oh, great. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, It's a trust building thing, right? So we work with farms and then it's like working out. They trust what we're doing and they spread word of mouth or we have new folks that have moved up into the Hilltown region that are agriculture producers reaching out, seeing what we're doing. We don't turn anyone away in the Hilltowns. We might try to steer, you know, farms away from all of them growing Swiss chard, you, you know? Yeah. Right? 
<laughs> we're trying to, you know, keep a lot of diversity going as far as products go. You know, as far as this like year round market program goes, like it, it's farmer input, you know, like we had a series of meetings to try to steer the future of this like nonprofit grocery store. And I don't think that most agricultural producers ever really have that opportunity to come and share and talk about their ideas and how to improve things. We want a lot of different people with a lot of different perspectives helping us to do better work. So anyone in the Hilltowns growing great food, reach out, please. This was an 18-week program initially, and now you're year-round. What are your plans for what this is going to look like in the winter? Colder. (laughs) Colder, Uh, yeah. 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 Um, If we get this new grant that we applied for, we're going to have an all-wheel drive refrigerated box truck. So hopefully we can continue on with delivery service in the winter. But worst case scenario, we'll just be open at the store. And especially since like a third of the customer base is, you know, seniors at least, you know, I I don't want to overstep my boundaries or, or say something that maybe it won't happen. But the idea is that we can continue doing door service for like the subsidized senior apartment complexes. So even in the dead of winter, people are still able to have a full refrigerator. No one should be wondering where their next meal is coming from. So regardless of where you're living, we're trying to help you out. It's hard, right? Like with the extended SNAP benefits being cut, especially our region where there is no transportation whatsoever, it's tricky. It's a system problem. If people can't afford food today and you load them up with groceries, they can't afford food tomorrow. So like without making some real change in the whole thing, like a week's worth of groceries only lasts a week, you know? Mm. It's almost like hunger is a political issue and it could be solved if we didn't lack the political will. I know I've heard that somewhere before, maybe from our guest who comes on every Thursday. The hilarious thing, I say the same thing about Batman who I have a shirt on. What Um, would Batman do is your shirt right now? Right, but what Batman really should do is just give away most of his fortune to Gotham and then he wouldn't have all those problems with the criminals. Yeah, stuff. that's right. If you feed the criminals, they're not going to want to turn into the Joker. <laughs> How childish can you get? Huh? You wouldn't get a guy with glasses on, would you? Hunt Chase from the Hilltown CDC and the Hilltown Mobile Market, who are doing such great work in the Hilltowns. And you can access the market at hilltownmobilemarket.com. We, we have a domain now. All right. Oh. You, you, you can go to hilltowncdc.org to see the work that we're doing or reach out if you need help with a pro, one of the programs that we do. But uh, hilltownmobilemarket.com. And we're also working with Forage to be able to accept SNAP online. Excellent. So, you know, it should help a lot with access. And Phil Corman from CISA, who are the local hero folks. You can find out about all our local heroes doing things in the world of food and food justice at buylocalfood.org. Coming up later this hour, we'll be celebrating our new neighbors and the gifts they've brought with them to Western Mass. We'll talk with Center for New Americans Executive Director Lori Millman and Ronaldo L'Occident, a newly arrived Haitian student who's coming into the studio with his guitar and will perform on stage this weekend. And up next, nationally acclaimed author, illustrator, and bird expert David Sibley. Got a bird question? Text 1-800-639-9120. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NEPM. I went everybody's head about the bird. I still can't believe that you did this. Welcome back to The Fabulous 413. Nationally acclaimed bird expert from Deerfield, David Sibley, will be at Deerfield's newest brewery, Treehouse, this coming Monday, the 22nd, talking about birds at a benefit for the Tilton Library and South Deerfield's building expansion. Joining us from the Tilton Library is Library Director Candace Bradbury-Carlin and Deerfield's own author and illustrator of The Sibley Guide to Birds and What It's Like to Be a Bird, David Sibley, thank you both so much for joining us. Thank you. (laughs) It's great to have you here. 
Now, uh, first off, David Sibley, uh, there's lots of fans of yours here at the radio station, inc- yes. including and- one of our uh, engineers, Kara Foster, who I believe got some of your books for uh, the holidays. And uh, I... She says she has three of them. Yeah. Yeah. That's some good stuff. So now I woke, I woke up this morning. Let me just backtrack for a quick second. I hosted a morning show for 17 years. And I got up at an alarm at 2 o'clock in the morning that sounded like birds. So I kind of hate birds, to be honest with you, in that regard, because they remind me of waking up painfully early. And it was, ironically enough, this morning at, I think, 5.45 that I was awo- awakened from a deep sleep by a bird outside my window that sounded like it was mocking me and saying, you're awake, you're awake, ha, 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 ha. And I think it might be a cardinal, David Sibley. Does that sound like it could be potentially a true bird call of a cardinal? Yeah, that would fit. That would fit. And they are loud and uh, one of the first birds to sing in the morning Uh and would be outside, right outside many people's (laughs) windows. So I'm not going crazy, although the bird was driving me crazy. I believe our engineer, Betsy, has a cardinal call in there. So we'll see if how close I was to the annoying, you're awake, you're awake. (laughs) Please stop doing that. That, uh, yeah, that was pretty much definitely the sound of of a bird waking me up. What other early (laughs) birds are there that get the worm? Uh, Bird expert David Sibley that might be uh, responsible for waking us all up too early as the sun comes up. Oh, well, around here, um, one of the very first birds to sing is the American robin. Mm -hmm. Um, That's an early one. And Carolina wren, which is a more recent um, colonist in and kind of moved north. The range has expanded north over the last 50 years or so, but they are also quite noisy and like to hang around houses and um, sing incessantly early, early in the morning. (laughs) Now, you're doing a benefit at Treehouse, which seems appropriate for a bird expert, um, this coming Monday, the 22nd, where you'll be talking about birds in a benefit for the Tilton Library in South Deerfield. And also joining us is Tilton Library Director, Candace Bradbury Carlin. Candace, tell us about uh, your relationship with uh, David Sibley and how you got uh, this acclaimed author and illustrator to do this uh, benefit for your library. Uh, well, we don't really have much of a relationship yet. It's growing fast. <laughs> now um, you have one but... over the internet on a radio show. <laughs> the accidentally but, you know... playing matchmaker through this fundraiser, yeah, right? <laughs> Yeah, it's been growing strong quickly um, with a couple other um, library folks um, that are in the mix and planning this event. And Dave has just been so gracious in answering our questions and being willing to pretty much do whatever we ask him to do. And um, and the, the tickets for the event are selling fast, so it's really obvious that you have a lot of local fans, David. And so we're just thrilled. Um, part of what, why we're doing this is um, for our fundraising for our expansion that we're in the process of designing and we'll be building starting next year is, um, you know, we have a $2 million goal for private donors to offset the cost of the town. And uh, in addition to a $4 million state grant from the Massachusetts Board of Library Commissioners. And um, so we wanted to have as part of our fundraising effort, a series that we're calling Local Excellence. Mm. And, um, and so the first person that came to mind was you, David, 
because uh, you're local and you're excellent. And, uh, <laughs> That'll do it. Yeah. And we just know that we have a lot of bird fans in the area. You can't not you can't live in Western Mass, sorry, Monty, and not love birds. At least most people. I do love and, them. Um, now that I get up a little bit later, I do watch the birds at my birdhouse every morning with my wife while we drink coffee. But there's still that trauma from 17 years of, of pre-recorded bird songs waking me up. So you did that to yourself. I you know. had choices. I was yeah. just thinking that. <laughs> That's Candace Bradbury Carlin, who is the director of the Tilton Library in South Deerfield, who's the beneficiary of an event starring David Sibley at Treehouse on Monday. But speaking of bird fans at Tilton Library, what are some of the species that you could see most often if you were at outside on the grounds of Tilton Library? David, you're the bird expert. Yeah, that's, that's me. <laughs> um, I... Uh, yeah, it's really, it's a town setting. There's a few big trees, but um, lawns and uh, close to the center of town. So birds that would, there'd be American robins there, certainly some house finches, um, little red and brown finches. There might be um, Baltimore Oriole, a really brilliant orange and black bird that they've just returned from their wintering grounds in the tropics and they're, they're all around now singing, but they would be up in the big shade trees. Um, and uh, you could probably see 20 or 30 species just sitting outside the library. Um, that's one of the great things about birding is it works everywhere. <laughs> you can see birds and see a lot of birds anywhere. We had on a podcast out of Greenfield called Tumble where they were talking about a birder who is blind but has recognized the sounds of so many birds in North America, and uh, that is more likely we're to encounter the sounds of the birds rather than the, uh, the actual sights of the birds. Are you proficient in the, the sounds of the different species of birds, David, as well? Or yeah. are you more of, you yeah. know, I know you're an amazing illustrator, so you certainly know what they all look like. Yeah, but sound is a huge part of bird watching and, um, uh, and learning to recognize birds by their sounds. It's kind of like learning a, a, a new language. Um, it takes years of practice. I'm still learning and still, still, becoming more fluent in in bird sounds but yeah it's a big uh, it's a big part of bird watching and every everyone who watches birds um, is at the same time working on learning the sounds um, and for people who are visually impaired it's also it's a great way to enjoy birds as well now I jokingly mentioned that I thought that cardinal was mocking me and saying you're awake this but there are that is a great way a mnemonic device to remember all sorts of different types of birds that we might hear like the birds are saying something memorable any of those kind of jump to mind for you david about different bird songs that when we hear them out in the wild that will be like aha because david told me today i know that that is a fill in the bird blank <laughs> yeah there's all kinds of mnemonics the the carolina wren that i mentioned earlier has a kind of a chanting song they do a three or four syllable phrase repeated several times in a row and the, the most common mnemonic is like tea kettle tea kettle tea kettle so when so we hear carolina tea kettle wren tea kettle is, tea kettle Carolina tea kettle, tea kettle, tea kettle. <laughs> All right. Um, some people say cheeseburger, cheeseburger, cheeseburger. <laughs> Saturday Night Live fans from the 70s, perhaps. <laughs> what are some other common ones that you can think of, David Sibley, birding expert from Deerfield? <laughs> um, let's see. There's um, 
the chickadee is one that jumps to mind, right? Doesn't that one say its name? Chickadee dee 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 dee. Oh that... yeah, their their call note, yeah, chickadee dee, and that's and that's where the name comes from. There's quite a few birds that that their their name, the common English name that we use for them, comes from their sound. The chickadee, um, killdeer, which is a kind of shorebird that um, nests in dry places like gravel parking lots and and fields. But they say their name, kill deer, kill deer, kill deer. What a morbid bird oh. that is. Well, they're on the shore. They shouldn't <laughs> see them often. They're a little bit braver and uh, more bold than they may imagine. I can't imagine yeah. a kill deer is actually doing it. Maybe a bald eagle, uh, perhaps. Well, uh, David Sibley, the renowned author and illustrator of all sorts of wonderful books about birding, is going to be at Treehouse in South Deerfield. Or is that technically Deerfield? I think it's South Deerfield still. Yeah. Uh, on Monday, and uh, it's a benefit for the Tilton Library. We're going to take a little break, and then we're going to come back and hear more about birds and more about libraries with author and illustrator David Sibley and Candace Bradbury Carlin. If you've got a question for our bird expert, you can text it, 1-800-639-9120, and we'll ask it on the other side of this break. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NEPM. Yes, we will make a little birdhouse in our soul with David Sibley, who's the renowned author and illustrator of The Sibley Guide to Birds and What It's Like to Be a Bird, as well as the director of the Tilton Library, Candace Bradbury Carlin, a benefit for the Tilton Library happening Monday at Treehouse, little birdhouse in our South Deerfield Brewery uh, on Monday. Tickets are going fast if you want to go and support the library and hear from David Sibley. Now, David, if uh, correct me if I'm wrong about this, but I believe you are the son of an ornithologist, uh, lived at around Yale in New Haven, went to New Jersey, and then to Concord, Massachusetts. What brings you to our fabulous 413 to Deerfield? Yeah, it's a, well, it's a, it's a long and winding road. <laughs> there are other Beatles um, songs about birds, if you'd like. I almost, I meant to put another one in there, but yeah, there's plenty of them. <laughs> um, I... Should I, my father's an ornithologist. My mother was a librarian, so oh, a, a, that's so perfect. Also a, a connection <laughs> for this this event. Um, we lived in Concord. We raised our kids there, and um, the kids graduated from high school and were moving on. We were looking for new new frontiers, and um, a friend of ours had a house here in Deerfield, um, an old farm, and um, we. Uh, Came here almost six years ago now, but we fell in love with it immediately. It's just so so peaceful, so pleasant, the Happy Valley. It's um, yeah. and lots of birds, <laughs> so it's it's just been really great. Um, and and we are settled here in Deerfield now for the foreseeable future. <laughs> What's the rarest bird you've spotted since moving out west? Oh, that's a good question um oh you know um there's a place in turner's falls called the the power canal people probably know i live right there so don't stalk (laughs) me but yes i live there (laughs) (laughs) yeah so it's a great birding spot it's one of the only real significant patches of 
open water besides the the river um and it stays open all winter um so it's a good place to look for ducks and gulls and seabirds and not long it was within the first year that we moved here i just stopped in on a morning mid-morning in march there were only a few birds there but one of them was a california gull which is it was only the second time ever in massachusetts um, All right. I'm going to have to Google that one because I could probably – it might wake me up tomorrow morning instead of the cardinal that woke me up this morning in the exact same location you're talking about. And we are – I mean, we are really yeah, lucky give there. give me a call if that wakes you up. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I've seen – I mean, there's also plenty of bald eagles around um, Turner's Falls. There's a big nest in Barton Cove, and yeah. I see them down by the canal. I've seen four at one time, which, you know, I don't think I saw one bald eagle – at all as a child, and now it's like an embarrassment of riches for America's bird in Turner's Falls there. I feel like that riches is still in quotation marks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What about... That's, a lot of that's because of the, the um, banning of the, the insecticide DDT. Um, mm-hmm. That when we were kids, you're, well, you're probably younger than me, but when I was a kid, um, bald eagles, ospreys, a lot of other predatory birds were their populations were really low because DDT had such a horrible impact on them. And um, DDT was banned and the populations rebounded. And that's one of the reasons that we're seeing so many eagles now is is because of that ban. While we're talking about depressing environmental issues with uh, birding expert David Sibley, who'll be at Treehouse Brewing in South Deerfield on Monday in a benefit for the Tilton Library, Climate change. Are we seeing birds now or have you in your time of observing birds since your childhood seeing birds now in our regions that we wouldn't normally have seen because things are warming up? Yeah, there's a lot of changes. The change change is a constant in the in the bird world. And um, uh, a lot of the changes that we're seeing now are um, linked to warmer climate. The southern species are moving north. Um, the Carolina wren that I mentioned has moved into Massachusetts in the last 50 years or so. Um, cardinal also, a uh, hundred years ago, it would have been really rare to, to hear a cardinal in Turner's Falls. Huh. Um, and so, yeah, lots of changes. Um, it's hard to separate exactly what impact the climate. There's a lot of other changes happening as well, a lot more, more exotic shrubs and trees planted, a lot more houses, a lot more bird feeders, and birds like cardinals benefit from all that as well. So, But climate's certainly part of that. So you do a lot of your, or primarily your own illustration for your books, moving from, I was noting from pencil to scratchboard to acrylic, and now using digital uh, means to produce your illustrations. But what of those, which of those do you find easiest to work with for what you're trying to convey in the detail and orientation of these birds, especially in your yeah, books? The, <laughs> yeah, the work that I'm doing, most of the work that I do is really scientific illustration. It's, it's trying to convey details of the bird's appearance. And for that, I have found in the last few years that the digital medium has become so easy, so versatile, um, that it is by far the best medium for me to use for those kinds of illustrations. Uh, it's still, I still um, think the more um, 
uh, personally, I really like the kind of sketchbook style illustrations, pencil with just a little bit of color added or just plain pencil. Um, and I think that, I think they're fun to look at because they leave a lot to the imagination. They're kind of, they're more interactive than a really fully com complete detailed painting. Um, and those kinds of illustrations, um, it's still easier for me to do those on paper because that's what I grew up doing. But I suppose someone, if I was just starting out now in my career, I would probably be doing everything digitally. Is there a reason why you lean towards the illustrations apart from just being a stellar artist uh, as opposed to photographs in your books? Oh, yeah. It's, well... I mean, for me, the drawing is a big part of the study that I do. So when I'm out watching birds, um, drawing them is just, it's a way to kind of um, really get into the study to, to look more, it forces me to look more carefully at the bird and then kind of test what I think I'm seeing by drawing it on paper. Um, and photographs don't, they don't test you that way. It doesn't, it doesn't force you to look more closely at the bird. You end up concentrating on the exposure and framing the picture and pushing the shutter at the right instant and all of that. But you're not really interacting with the bird as much. That's um, interesting that the stuff, so that's that's, the, it's, a, it's for you. And then we benefit from it. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's yeah. for your own edification and then we can all benefit from it. These books have sold millions of yeah. copies if you are not familiar with David Sibley, the author that we're speaking to. And doubly benefiting because also through your site, there's instructions on how to do this as well, like for people who are interested in also sketching and creating images of birds. It's really cool. Um, we are also speaking with Candace Bradbury Carlin, who is welcoming author-illustrator David Sibley to Treehouse, the brewery in South Deerfield on Monday as a benefit for the Tilton Library. Candace is the library director. Um, we've heard a lot about new libraries and expanding libraries in our region. We're really excited about the Greenfield Public Library opening pretty soon. The Jones in Amherst is going through an expansion. Politically speaking, it's been a little bit of a hot topic in certain communities. How is the community of South Deerfield responding to the expansion of the Tilton Library? And what are we to expect if and when that expansion begins? Oh, well, the uh, the expansion is definitely happening. Nice. Um, <laughs> Too late the, the now, folks. <laughs> <laughs> now that David Sibley's coming to do a fundraiser, there's no looking back. <laughs> That's right. Um, no, the, the town um, had a special um, town meeting and election last fall, the deal. And then we signed a contract with the state grant um, organization. And so we're going through the steps as outlined through the, the granting organization, the, uh, the MBLC. And so that's a, they've been doing this, the Massachusetts, uh, I was going to say Massachusetts Bird, Massachusetts Board of <laughs> Library Commissioners um, has been doing this program for a long time and Greenfield Libraries are part of that. They're just like a, a year or two ahead of us. So we're, you know, we're keeping an eye on them to, 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 you know, as a model. And, and um, I think the, the response is great. And anytime something comes to a vote, there's going to be some, you know, um, there's going to be some debate. There's going to be some disagreement, and that happened. Um, but you know, we we came through, and we're really excited. And I think that um, I kind of believe in that "you build it, they will come" philosophy, um, and it's definitely true for libraries. And our architect, who's also the same architect for the Greenfield Library, and a bunch of others in the area, said that usually the um, the attendance triples in the first year, and then we'll settle down to double um, what we're used to. And so I think what we're offering. Um, we don't have a meeting space or a place to do programs. We're going to have 
a lot of meeting spaces, um, particularly a large one the community community can use. Um, if they can get a key when the library is closed. Um, we'll have a couple of medium sized rooms. One of them will be a worker space slash um, uh, maker space. Uh, we'll have some quiet study rooms. We're finally getting a teen room. We've been operating out of an old closet for teens that go to school right down the road from us. And uh, oh, so all those teens nice come teen out of the closet. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and, you know, just updating with the, something the pandemic has taught, I think a lot of municipal buildings, especially libraries, is if you have to close your building, then what kind of services can you offer? And we did the best we could. We're, we're, we're a creative bunch of, of uh, professionals in the library land, um, but definitely having more like structural help um, for that if, if we need to help people outside of the building. Um, so there's a lot to look forward to. And actually tonight, a couple hours from now, I'll be presenting at the town hall the um, updated design to the to the town. And then we're going to move forward to the detailed um, design. That's excellent. That is Tilton Library Director Candace Bradbury Carlin, who is from the Tilton Library in South Deerfield. A benefit for that library happening Monday in South Deerfield at the new Treehouse Brewery. It will feature the acclaimed author and illustrator now making his home in South Deerfield or Deerfield, David Sibley. Last question for you, David Sibley. An elusive bird that you've wanted to see your entire life, but you have, it's like your great white whale, but a bird. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, there's, uh, it's a, well, it's going to be an esoteric, <laughs> I love it. nerdy answer. It's called the Aztec thrush. I and had that once. It's, <laughs> basically only found in Mexico. It's ah. it's a endemic to Mexico in the mount, high mountains of central Mexico in pine forest. And once in a while, they wander into so southeastern Arizona. And back in the 80s and 90s, I was spending a lot of time in Arizona looking for birds. And multiple times, I was within a day of one. <laughs> a day later, a day early, <laughs> I'd leave a place and hear, oh, the day after you left, an Aztec thrush showed up. Oh, man. Or I'd hear about one and go looking for it and and hear, oh, it was here yesterday, but nobody's seen it now. And they would tell you? So Talk I, about never... rubbing salt in the wound. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, good luck on finding yeah, that. Birders love to talk about what, what was there yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> well, now I'm more excited to go and bird watch at, uh, along the Power Canal where I live. And you Turner's can use Falls. this app to do so, And too. yes, you have apps that we can yes. recognize. Yep. The Song Sleuth app for free and another app as well and all sorts of books. David Sibley, uh, who will be doing a benefit for the Tilton Library on Monday at Treehouse. And tr uh, Tilton Library Director Candace Bradbury Carlin, thank you both so much for joining us today. Thank you. And thank you, David, thank for doing you. this. <laughs> coming up, yeah, my pleasure. we'll hear about immigrant voices coming right down the street from the Power Canal, where I live, uh, at the Shea this Sunday. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NAPM. Welcome back to the Fabulous 413. This Sunday at the Shea Theater in Turner's Falls, it's the return of Immigrant Voices. It is an opportunity to hear from some of the folks who work for this, with the Center for New Americans, learning English and on the pathway to citizenship. And joining us from the Center for New Americans is the executive director, Lori Millman. And joining us is one of the students of the Center for New Americans, Ronaldo L'Occident, a newly arrived Haitian student, 
who's coming to this, who's in the studio with his guitar right now. He has come already. Yeah, and will be performing this Sunday as a benefit for the Center for New Americans. Uh, we're going to hear all about the work the Center for New Americans does in just a little bit, but let's hear a little taste of what you're going to be playing on Sunday, Ronaldo. Yeah, I'm going to play. Um, thank you so much for this opportunity. Um, I'm going to sing it for you. Excellent. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Si belle en mer, si belle montagne avec rivière, si belle plage avec cocoyer, si bel paysage avec, si belle en mer, si belle rivière, si belle montagne avec belle rivière, si belle montagne, belle rivière. Sacrifice 
you so much. Ronald Deluxident, newly arrived neighbor from Haiti, working with the Center for New Americans, and will be performing that on stage on Sunday. Yeah. At Turner's Falls at Immigrant it's, Voices. It is not this song. Oh, it's good. This song. We got a special yeah. in studio song. You want to hear a little bit? Well, we'll, we'll have to save it for Sunday because we've got to make sure okay. to have time <laughs> yes, to talk to Lori. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Lori Millman, the executive director of Center for New Americans. For those yeah. who might not be familiar with what the Center for New Americans is and does, tell us about your mission. We are a community-based education and resource center, and we welcome and serve immigrants, migrants, asylum seekers, refugees, anyone who wants to be here. And we provide for them a a variety of services, not least of which is teaching. Right. So yes, so we offer free English classes. Without them, it's very hard to make doctors' appointments, support children in school, get jobs. So we offer free English classes in Amherst, Northampton, Greenfield, and online, mornings and evenings. And yes, you're right, we offer uh, low-cost immigration legal services. So DACA renewals, green card applications, employment authorizations, temporary protected status, which is what many of the Haitian arrivals are applying for, and some asylum applications. I should fully disclose that my wife teaches for Center for New Americans and will be teaching an online class today. But it is a labor (laughs) of love. She uh, loves teaching English. And so, Ronaldo, how long have you been in the United States? Um, I want six months. Six months. Yeah. And did you speak English before you came? No. And you're already speaking English as well? Um, I speak because um, God put on my way, Center for New Americans, to help me. (laughs) Tell us about that song you performed. It was in Haitian Creole, I'm assuming. Yeah, Haitian Creole. Um, This song um, I was saying is, um, this song talk about your um your partner you know um your wife your yes your love yeah I yes, heard baby love, in there a bunch of yeah, times. yeah 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 uh-huh. yeah tell us Lori, some more of the people that will be performing on sunday in this benefit for the uh, center for new americans so what's really wonderful is that ronaldo will join some other haitian former students people who have performed before rose and joan who arrived from haiti a few years ago and have really made their way here. Rose um, is recredentialing now as a nurse. Joanne has already recredentialed as a nurse, and they're both bringing family members over now with the reunification program. So he will join them in singing on stage. We have the Haguma brothers who um, were resettled as refugees by Catholic Charities. They arrived right as everything was shutting down for the pandemic. They will dance, they're from the DRC. We have um, someone who was an emergency room doctor in Ukraine who will read a poem. Wow. This Um, is a powerful event. I've been to every single one that has happened, and there's never a time where I have not gotten emotional. Yeah. Uh, One of the things that I think is so important and emotional for us is that we see people from all over the world in our classrooms, and we see just one piece of them. Mm -hmm. We see students struggling to learn a language they don't know. And when you think about yourself trying to express yourself in a language you don't know, you're not always confident. But on stage, they're experts about their culture and artistic traditions, and then we can learn from them. And that's a wonderful other perspective that I think is really important. That's a really good reminder to regard people as full human beings, regardless of how you're encountering them, right? 
that's what I love about this event because exactly as you said, I mean, there's it started in 2016 when the rhetoric towards immigrants has never been particularly good in this country, but it got vitriolic in a more recent time then. Oh, the and, irony. Yes. And so, uh, you know, bringing so many of our new neighbors to the stage to show uh, what gifts they have to bring here is really right. an amazing opportunity. Um, tickets are still available at a sliding scale, shantheater.org, and they go to support the continuing work that you do, doing things like providing English classes and and, and uh, affordable legal services. Right, and we're hoping to see uh, students and performers' families and people are making donations to create a bank of tickets for everybody. We want to pack the theater. We want to see people who live near the theater, um, our students, our performers' families, and, you know, we're really excited about it. Ronaldo, had you um, performed on a stage when you lived in Haiti, or is this you're going to be your first big performance? Um, at church, yeah. At church, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's still so, performance. Yeah, All of our great gospel five, singers got their start there. Yeah, I, I, I own five years ago, so I'm not singing, not practice, nothing. So, and now. So it's brushing off, yeah. brushing off old talents that haven't seen the light so in a very, couple. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm so very excited, nervous, you know. He's like that, yeah. Well, we're excited to see you, and I'm excited to see that event happen again. I, I fully disclose, as the president of the Board of the Shea, I stand nothing to gain from this actual event, <laughs> but that it was a, a labor of love to bring it to fruition that first year in 2016. And despite the pandemic and using digital means, we've figured out a way to make it happen year after year. So thanks for you uh, to you, Lori, for making it happen year after year as well. Well, you said you wanted the Shea to be a space, a community space. And uh, we're so happy to have our community uh, populate it. And it's uh, one of my favorite moments of the entire year. So looking forward to it this Sunday night at the Shea in Turner's Falls. Thank you both so much, Ronaldo L'Occident and Lori Millman from the Center for New Americans. Tomorrow on The Fabulous 413, Emmy Award-winning filmmaker from Florence, Larry Hott, will get a preview of his documentary, The Niagara Movement, The Early Battle for Civil Rights, coming to PBS this fall. And Emmer's Shivaji Kumar, a digital accessibility strategist celebrating Global Accessibility Awareness Day. And we'll sneak in a chat with word nerd Emily Brewster, resident wordster from Merriam-Webster. Our director is Tony. It's how doers get more done. Our engineer is Betsy. Emotionally unbalanced makes you physically unbalanced, Cordis. Our technical team is Bart, Enco, Wranglin, Rankin, Kara, Big David Sibley fan, Foster, and punk rude boy, Dubay. We'll see you tomorrow on the Fabulous 413.